My name is Michael Shaw. And I'm Michelle Welcher. And this is The Climate Crisis. We're at that point in the industrialized global capitalist so-called civilization where they are literally overtly, openly willing to encourage people to go back to work. It's worth risking your life for the economy. I mean, it's, it's to that point now where it's that blatant and obvious. And something has to give. We've got the virus in the direct threat of human life coming directly up against the corporatists. And so, and, and the people are trapped in between and you're going to have to choose a side. Do you go the way of the scientists and the rational people in the, the virus essentially forcing us to live the way we always should have been living? Stop, keep it local, take care of your own, reach out to your neighbors, this sane grounded way of living uh, versus this dominant culture that says the opposite. No, buy, consume, fly, go, go, go. And so that's interesting to me that we're clearly at this point in history where it's a very clear choice now that people are going to have to make. In these crazy, crazy times that we live in, we're happy to have on the line today Dar Jamail talking about the coronavirus and its connection to the climate crisis. Dar is an award-winning journalist and author who spent more than a year in Iraq as an unembedded journalist reporting on the 2003 war. From the point of view of the civilian population, which at the time was a very difficult thing to do, if anyone remembers that, he has reported for The Guardian, The Independent, The Nation, The Huffington Post, Truthout, Le Monde, Al Jazeera English, amongst many others, winning the 2018 Izzy Award for Excellence in Journalism. Since 2010, Dar has focused his reporting solely on the climate crisis and the environment. In 2019, he published a book, The End of Ice, which we've said before on this program is a climate classic if there should be such a genre. I was lucky enough to meet Dar late 2019 and very happy to have him back on the line today. Welcome, Dar. Welcome, Dar. Thanks. Good to be with you guys again. Yeah, Yeah, so crazy times on a planetary scale, isn't it? It's really unbelievable. I mean, I am really used to catastrophe and seeing things unfold rapidly in in horrible ways. And at this point, I mean, who could have predicted it would happen this fast? Yes, absolutely. The speed of it is what's just really surprising and jumping everybody, isn't it? Yeah. It really is. And and because it's so global, it's affecting all countries so quickly. Exactly. We know now that this is a direct result of overpopulation, overexpansion, deforestation, loss of habitat to species. And when we have encroached way too far on the earth, it feels as though the earth has said, okay, it's time for you to stop. Yeah. And uh, this, this virus has been the perfect vehicle to make that happen. And it's really amazing because here in the U.S., they're, they're d- about poised to dump $2 trillion more dollars into the economy to keep it loping along for X number more months. And, and then we have these lunatics call, like Trump and his minions calling for people to uh, basically get back to business ASAP. Yeah. I mean, I and, just find that you know, extraordinary. But, but if and when that happens, uh, the more the system tries to keep lumbering forward, uh, the the stronger the virus will become because the faster it will spread. 
Yes. So it's really a perfect catch-22. It is. Uh, the planet's playing on us now, or yes. us being the uh, global capitalism. Yes. Global. And, of course, it's, it's so similar to the climate crisis because the more we continue on, the worse effects it's going to have, and we're just seeing this happening with the virus so clearly. Precisely, except immediately, you know, as though the climate crisis impacts weren't fast enough, which they're abrupt and mind-bending on their own, but this is to a whole nother level. One of the things that's really surprised me is how suddenly now the experts and the scientists, everyone's listening to them. Suddenly the experts and scientists are the people that know the actual things they know and everyone's giving over and listening to them. And yet around climate science, it's exactly the opposite. That's a really interesting point. It is fascinating that in this I think it's because the immediacy of this, that people feel that their lives are directly in jeopardy. And of course, that's the same with the climate crisis. But for lack of imagination to think about their kids or grandkids, you know, there isn't this kind of visceral reaction, which is exactly the kind of reaction that we should be having for the climate crisis. There's a longer time lag with the climate crisis, so people can't connect cause and effect. But also what I find interesting is that it started out they were following the scientists and medical advice, but then what we see now is economies being compromised, suddenly they're backing away from that. Yeah. And so you have Bolsonaro and Trump encouraging people back to work when that is directly against the advice of what other countries have done who have flattened the curve and against the advice of doctors. We're at that point in the industrialized global capitalist civiliz so-called civilization where they are literally overtly now in the United States and in Brazil, like you mentioned, willing, openly willing to encourage people to go back to work. It does, you know, it's, it's worth risking your life for the economy. I mean, it's, it's to that point now where it's that blatant and obvious. And Something has to give. We've mm. got the virus in the direct threat of human life mm. coming directly up against the corporatists. Mm. And so, and, and the people are trapped in between. Mm. And you're going to have to choose a side. Mm. You know, do you go the way of the scientists and the rational people in the, the virus essentially forcing us to live the way we always should have been living? Stop, keep it local, take care of your own, reach out to your neighbors you know, this sane, grounded way of living uh, versus this dominant culture that says the opposite. No, buy, consume, fly, go, go, go. And so that's interesting to me that we're clearly at this point in history where it's a very clear choice now that people are going to have to make. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's so true. I mean, look, just going back a step there, I just sort of want to emphasize a link you made about the virus and its connection to overpopulation. Yeah, it's interesting that we haven't, I mean, I've seen a little bit of, of writing about this, but very, very little. It's directly overpopulation and overconsumption that caused this. It's simply, we, we know that it came from some wildlife uh, it, I think a bat is essentially what it's attributed to, at least thus far. And the, the virus mutated and made the leap from, from animal to human. And that's because we're going to places where we shouldn't be going. We're deforesting areas that shouldn't be deforested. All that is a direct result in the logical conclusion of this global capitalist system that has to have eternal expansion 
in a finite realm. And so this was inevitable. And epidemiologists have been warning now for a long time that this was inevitable and this is a very bad crisis that we're in and there will be more to come and they will be worse because as the system keeps going, we will keep unleashing more viruses like this, as well as I even had a, I remember a short paragraph in my book about with the climate crisis, we've already seen instances, for example, where an old strain of anthrax melt thawed out of the permafrost in part of Siberia. And there were dozens of people that were infected and several died and it was contained, but we've also been warned that that's coming too. I mean, what other kinds of deadly viruses are frozen in the permafrost that are going to be released. And scientists are warning about that as well. So that's that's coming too. The question is just when. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down go tell that long-tongued liar go and tell that midnight rider tell the rambler the gambler the backbiter tell him that god's gonna cut him down tell him that god's gonna cut him down well my goodness gracious let me tell you the news my head's been wet with the midnight dew I've been down on bended knee Talking to the man from Galilee He spoke to me with a voice so sweet I thought I heard the shuffle of angels sweet He called my name and my heart stood still When he said, John, go do my will Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna One of the things that I've thought about too with this is because the economy is getting so smashed, this is in effect what needs to happen in terms of, it's going to happen anyway in terms of the environmental crisis, but it's also what needs to happen to prepare for it. So in a sense, it's a bit of a paradox, isn't it? This system has to fall no matter which way you look at it. That's right. And, you know, I've had a a very interesting experience. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to live in the forest on 10 acres and be growing a a large amount of food and have a few people right here in my immediate community. And when we in Washington state got our official stay at home orders by Governor Inslee a couple of days ago, and me and my close friends were essentially already doing it because we understood what was happening in order to be safe and, and not risk spreading anything if we had it. In the days after we made the decision to start staying home, We spent days on end in the garden, uh, chopping firewood, things like this, not driving my car. I mean, I didn't drive my car for a week and had an amazing, lovely, grounded time feeling that much more deeply rooted to the earth and to my community here. And we were out there working together and sharing meals, and it was delightful. And in a sense, it was a relief. And I, I imagine a lot of people have experienced this a relief to be able to step off of this treadmill that so many of us are uh, dictated to live on to earn a living in this insane out of control system. It's a relief to have the pause button uh, pushed for us. And of course, this is those of us fortunate enough now to have enough to live today 
and tomorrow and for another couple of months with some savings. Uh, we'll see what happens in a couple of months. Uh, and those of us fortunately to be uh, well thus far. So all that said, it's been a relief and, and it's been sort of a taste or a promise of if you live this way, this is what it feels like. And it's really good. Of course, the obvious question that follows that, because I'm so with you, I mean, we're lucky enough here as well to live on land that we can get food from. But there's many people, many, 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 many people in the cities and high rise and no access to earth whatsoever. And I do worry about the social chaos coming. Mm. I, that is the most frightening part of this to me as well. The virus, if you know, the virus can be contained, we have several countries that have shown us how to do it, these different ways that South Korea, China, other places that have had Singapore, you know, really, really effective measures. But especially in countries, well, the U.S. is really the apex, but Brazil, another example, Australia to a lesser extent, where there's this really great divide politically within the country. But the U.S. is really the worst case scenario, heavily weaponized mm. general population, extremely ignorant, um, mm. completely divided mm. politically with fear and hate mongering going on in various right wing media outlets. And so what happens when growing numbers of those people who are being told by this administration, it's okay to go back to business while they're all going to, we're all here going to eventually know someone who's sick or dead or dying from this virus. And what happens when those people then start running out of food, start running out of money, they've lost loved ones, they're in great anguish and grief. Uh, it's it's a perfect setup for a, a pretty catastrophic situation potentially sociologically in this country, and that's what that's what gives me the most concern for this crisis, even more so than the virus. And I presume that there's no measures being put in place to handle that kind of social unrest except more military. Right, you know, and then it plays into the hand of an authoritarian regime such as the Trump administration where, you know, they already have emergency powers now. So the question is going to be how do they start to use those and abuse those when this kind of violence breaks out, which I feel like is inevitable. The question is just when. The question is when. I mean... In a sense, we always knew that these changes were coming. Mm. And people like yourself, we've been preparing. It's wonderful that because you've been aware of the climate crisis and that these things are ahead, that you've been able to build in your lifestyle some buffering for for these effects. But a lot of people don't have that. Mm. That's right. And I can't imagine how much scarier this would be being one of those people, Michael, that you mentioned in a high rise in a city with, okay, I've got some canned goods in my pantry, but here I am in my apartment. I can't leave. I'm afraid the city streets are empty. That would be an extremely stressful and terrifying situation. You mentioned it just before you're officially in lockdown there, are you? So no one can leave their homes. Right. Well, that that means that we're uh, allowed, aside from essential things like going to the grocery store or going to the doctor or if there's some kind of emergency. But Governor Inslee was very, very clear and very, very grateful that he's the governor here. He's actually uh, handling this very well and as a true leader should. Uh, He's being very, very measured and very, very clear, uh, but also taking some pretty stern measures. And this is why we see the number of cases in Washington now growing much more slowly. You know, just less than two weeks ago, we were the epicenter of the virus 
in the United States. And now New York City alone has 10 times more cases than the, than Washington State as a whole does. And a lot of that is because of the measures that this state's been taking, thanks in large part to Governor Inslee. Another thing that he lined out as part of the essential reasons that we might need to leave our homes would be go for a walk, go ride your bike. If you can go for a hike in a safe way, as long as you keep social dis- distancing, because it is essential to do those kinds of things too, in order to maintain your mental and, and psychological yes, well-being. Of course. Do you, do you know how long you're locked down for? Or is it just until the, the numbers come down, until the, the peak of the graph is falls? I don't remember precisely, but I but I believe he said we're, we're you know two weeks, and then we'll check we'll see what it looks like at two weeks. I imagine that's going to go longer, at least here in Washington State. But I believe it's that much. And you know what's because of an abject lack of leadership on the federal level level by this insane administration, and not just a lack of leadership that would actually be easier to deal with, but then putting out this propaganda that we have it under control. I mean, it was less than a month ago today that Trump said, oh, we have 15 cases. We're about to get it down to zero. We're doing a great job. We have it completely under. He essentially declared that we had eradicated the virus from the United States and denied it vociferously up until a couple of weeks ago. Uh, at which point he declared a national emergency, but is still now putting out propaganda, basically, as we talked about earlier, saying, oh, it's okay, we're going to get back to business by Easter, and won't it be wonderful to have all the churches full again by Easter? I mean, this is in direct contradiction to everything that the the, the health experts and the doctors and the scientists are saying. No, we it's going to take us three weeks before we even have an accurate, we have enough tests being done nationally to have an accurate picture of where it's exploding and what needs to be done in different regions. And because of this abject failure of the federal government, Mm. you look across the states and it's like, we might as well be 50 countries at this point because the federal government's not stepping up and giving us aids as states financially or with uh, masks or personal protection equipment or any of that for the hospitals. And, and governors are literally begging for federal assistance on this. And so you have this patchwork of different responses with all the states and even cities within those states. I mean, I, I just talked to my brother earlier, who's retired police commander in Austin and, and head of security for Austin Metro down in Texas. And he said that his county actually just today ordered a two-week stay-at-home order and actually has a curfew from 11 p.m. every night for eight hours. So, you know, we have that, and then we have other states that have done next to nothing and and everything in between. And we're supposedly the United States, and I think the name of this country is a bit of a joke at this point. (laughs) The disunited or ununited states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, look, you mentioned this before, but... you know, just talking to you, it's just really exposing this myth, this, the complexity we've created as a human society to create this economy. And now everyone's hailing the economy and it's going to kill us all one way or the other, whether through the virus or whether through the environment. Well, they, they literally, as, as we discussed just before the show, the Lieutenant Governor of Texas came out a couple of days ago and essentially is calling for human sacrifices of all people. For capitalists. And if you want to be patriotic, you should go sacrifice yourself to go, you know, shopping or work or whatever it be for the economy. And he says, you know, I'm willing to do that. 
No one asked me if I was willing or not to do that. That to me is a, a sociopathy, yes. a, you know, a pathological, yes. like that is a crazy person that needs to be locked up. Mm. I mean, let's call it what it is. Mm. And people like Trump calling for that, literally calling, like, go put your health at risk mm. for, for money. Mm. I mean, that is... That is absolutely insane. And we need to call that out for specifically what it is. These people are insane and they're in positions of power. They're a threat to themselves, their families and others, and they need to be treated accordingly. And and it, the, the other, there's a few disturbing things about that, all you said. And also, he, he is a very privileged, very wealthy white man that would have no trouble getting access to medical help if he needed it. That's why the, the, the whole thing is insane. And and right. also that line he said about wanting wanting to protect America for his children and grandchildren, to protect the economy for his children and grandchildren. It's just insane when you consider what's happening in the environment and no one gives a stuff about what's happening to the children and grandchildren. You know, they're shoved aside in any thoughts. I think when the economy trumps the life, actually just life, when you put the economy ahead of life and ahead of the earth and you know you've got a real problem, how that can be justified. And it, it, yeah, it's, it's another, that precise point is how this is another really iteration of the climate crisis, yes, right? Where yeah. it, 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 except it's happening in fast forward. Yeah. The climate crisis, it was already happening so rapidly. Like let's, let's keep putting these kind of low ball goals of, of CO2 reductions, et cetera, out there. We're going to reduce as a country, our emissions down to 1990 levels by 2030, this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's insane. Cause that's, again, let's, let's make some, bargains that oh somehow we can just reduce a little bit instead of a full-scale emergency response which all of us know uh, who are tracking the climate crisis that's the only hope we would have for not stopping anything but at least a little bit of mitigation to do a moral thing and and this is just a, a much more abrupt grossly obvious iteration of that where you know literally the almighty dollar the golden you know the holy grail of the global capitalist economy is more important than human life. Looking down on empty streets, all she can see are the dreams all made solid, are the dreams all made real. All of the buildings all of the cars were once just a dream in somebody's head she pictures the broken glass she pictures the steam she pictures a soul with no leak at the seam let's take
we're also losing faith in our leadership. I mean, that had already been happening with the climate crisis, with all the protests, and we've got leaders that are just completely ignoring it, not listening to what people's fears and concerns are. We're getting this sense that the leaders are not leading us and they're not looking after us. I'm just wondering, like, what situation does that leave the everyday person? Well, a- a- absolutely great points. And, and over here, how that's manifesting, I think, is... Um, a growing sense of fear and, and panic and unease where, you know, people are getting mixed messages. I mean, if you listen to Trump, you're, you hear one reality. Here in Washington, if you listen to Governor Inslee, you hear the polar opposite reality. And then there's all kinds of shades in between that. And so I think that's contributing to a really difficult psychological crisis alongside, you know, a high, high anxiety that's growing by the day. The numbers are going up every day and the the messaging from the White House becomes more insane by the day alongside that. So I think that also contributes to the high likelihood of growing social unrest when people literally start running out of food and money. I mean, we right now have a 20 percent unemployment rate in this country. Uh, there's already people saying it looks like for sure it's going to be 30% sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. And let us remember that during the Great Depression in the United States, the highest unemployment rate was 24.9%. Mm-hmm. So even though the governments are saying everything's fine, this is good, the lived reality is right in our face. People are dying, people are unemployed, people don't have food. These are These are really strong things you can't ignore. The way I see this government, and as power never lets go of power willingly, I see this government act, it's like last chapter, last gasping effort to maintain control. Uh, not to say this won't go on for a while longer. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's going to end next week or something, but it reminds me of during the, the U.S. illegal invasion and occupation of Iraq, when Baghdad was about to fall. I remember Saddam Hussein's information minister on their state TV up there saying, we have the Americans on their heels. We're right on the edge of victory. And there's literally an American tank rolling up behind him. That, that's what flashes in my memory when I hear these people talking about somehow we're going to keep the economy going et cetera, et cetera. I see this. We are in free fall collapse at yes. this point. Yes, we are. This is the paradigm shift. Mm. The only question is how ugly does it have to be? Yes. Yeah. For sure, there's people already taking this in and making that shift and making the radical changes in our lives that we have to make to start living in harmony with the planet the way indigenous people did for millennia. Do we want to do that willingly now and take this opportunity to do that? Or do we want to be on the side of the industrial growth machine in global capitalism where there's just going to be a lot of corpses if you if you try to hold on to that dinosaur? Absolutely. One of the questions also that's been on my mind is like the coronavirus is a particular um, pandemic in the moment that's affecting everyone. But I wonder, is it the beginning of a, a continual escalating problems yeah have we like when started? does it is, has is it started? started this is what because we've been talking about the climate crisis and i just wonder should we be preparing it's my my personal analysis is it, it seems like this is a, a a dagger in the heart of the capitalist prod the global capitalist project it's really and even a lot of the economists that i'm reading are saying look we're we're already looking at something 
way worse than the 2008 financial crisis that was global. Mm-hmm. We're, we're looking at years of recovery already. And the thing is, this thing's just getting started. I mean, if you look, especially at the United States, that because of the actions of the Trump administration, this, you know, all the scientists and the doctors here are already saying, look, our window of opportunity of containing this thing, that train left the station weeks ago. And we have states literally where, you know, kids are still going on spring break in Florida. We have whole states where where large numbers of the population are basically not changing a thing. And this virus is is just get barely getting started in this country. I mean, the peak is still right as of right now, three weeks away is what they're calling for. And I think that is a very, very optimistic uh, perspective because of it's still spreading. We're still grossly under testing because the equipment's not there. The medical manpower is not there. We're looking at a situation where this health system in this country has been being gutted for decades. It didn't, that didn't start with Trump, but for example, in New York city, uh, we have uh, 70,000 ish. I think it's 73 or 74,000. No, I'm sorry. It was 74,000 hospital beds in 2000. Now it's 53, 53,000. They're talking about needing 140,000 to try to keep up with the peak of cases that's, that's rapidly approaching. So, that's just New York City. And then extrapolate that out to the rest of the country. It's just not there. I mean, literally nurses, uh, I, 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 I saw an interview with a nurse in New York City today talking about how they have nurses that are being issued one N95 mask a week to use. Before the virus, if you reused a mask, you were going to be disciplined sternly for that, possibly fired. Now the order is we're throwing all the science aside because we don't have the supplies and we need to keep people on the front lines treating people, you get one mask a week. And as he said, that means um, you know, you're touching the mask, uh, you're, then you're touching yourself, then you're touching patients, you touch the mask. And then, so we're essentially now vectors of the disease and we're the people trying to help people who are literally on, on death's door. So that's happening now and we're still weeks away from the peak. Yeah, and then the recovery time from that's going to be quite a lot, even just to get society and the economy functioning again, if indeed it ever does. But I think for a lot of people, what it means is what you were saying earlier of how to actually be self-sustainable as much as possible or within a community. It's sort of pushing, it's destroying, it seems like it's destroying the structures and leadership, but it's also pushing the everyday person to, to learn to be able to live on the land again as a community, learn to fit the basics. Absolutely, 100%. Um, I mean, I, I moved to where I live and started building my life uh, as far as land and solar power and such the way I have because of the climate crisis and knowing that essentially we're going to be on our own. I mean, you look at the capitalist system, the governments are, are bent on, you know, they're run by corporate power. They're not, there's not going to be any social welfare programs. I'm talking about the U.S. specifically, but, you know, obviously this applies to other countries as well and certainly in the West. But uh, we're on our own. And, and certainly in the United States, this virus makes that glaringly obvious. We are completely on our own. Okay, on a state level here, I'm lucky enough to live in a state with the same governor. I'm lucky enough to live in a town that's been very proactive, as our hospital has been. But most of the country, that's not the case. And, and, and with this 
with this federal government not even giving states what they need to try to do their job to take care of the citizens, we are clearly on our own. And so that's the bad news. And also the good news is it's forced me to do things like walk down my dirt road uh, a couple of days ago and meet one of my neighbors that I hadn't met. Just go knock on the door and it turns out one of them's a nurse in our local hospital. One of them's a surgical scrub technician of several years. And, and they both work in our local hospital and said, hey, if you need any first aid, come to us. And I'm like, hey, if you need any food, come to me. Mm. You know, and, and that's a beautiful thing. And that's how we should have been living like that should have happened years ago. <sighs> And so that's that's this silver lining for those of us lucky enough to live in a situation like that. But but I would argue that even in cities now that I would urge people to start doing that, that we need to rely on each other. We need to treat each other well. And and as any crisis does and most people, it really does bring out our best generosity, acts of humanity, people helping people. And, you know, there's always going to be a minority that behaves uh, really badly uh, and tries to exploit the situation or gets afraid and starts running around doing terrible things. But the majority of people are going to act well and behave well. And, and, and that's what's upon us. And now it's another one of these decisions of, you know, what kind of person do you want to be as things unravel? Duh, thank you so much yeah. for talking to us. a rhythm and rush these days But the lights don't move and the colors don't fade Leaves you empty with nothing but dreams In a world gone shallow and a world gone mean Sometimes there's things a man cannot know Gears won't turn and the leaves won't grow There's no place to run and no gasoline Engine won't turn and the train won't leave Engines won't turn and the train won't leave I will stay Thoughts of a man